Thank you so much, Dean Still, for those kind words, and also for your friendship. I've uh, just enjoyed being here so much since I arrived last uh, summer in Waco, Texas. It's just been a thrill for my family and I, so uh, glad to be here today with, in front of all of you and to share some of my story and hopefully get to meet some of you afterwards as well. Uh, one of my daily habits that I have in my life is, uh, as we all should, is to read from the scriptures, of course. Uh, I like to come into work every morning and open up the Psalms. So I read the Psalms every single morning before I check any email, before the day goes off into a roller coaster of numerous ways, as it always invariably does. It's really important to me to uh, just to compose myself and, and remember what's important first. So uh, I read through the Psalms every single day. Uh, recently, one that really struck me, it's amazing, God's Word, how it does that. You, something you maybe have read hundreds of times before will strike you very differently in a, very, in a season of your life. And this is true of me too. And uh, recently, uh, it was Psalm 50 that really made me take notice. So in my daily readings of the Psalms, Psalm 50 is one that I've just come back over and over and over again to. And so what I thought I would do as we open up in prayer, to, prayer this morning, I thought I would take Psalm 50. And if you forgive me, I, I've slightly rephrased it. So Psalm 50 is a Psalm of Asaph. He's describing God. Uh, he actually quotes things that God would say to us in that. Uh, and I've paraphrased it as a prayer back to God. So the Psalms are prayers, of course. And uh, let's now pray Psalm 50 back to the Lord together. So please close your eyes and bow your heads with me. God, you are the mighty one. You speak and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God, you shine forth. O Lord, you come, you do not keep silent, even amidst the storms of our world. You call to the heavens above and to the earth that you may judge your people. You will gather to you your faithful ones who are in covenant with you by sacrifice. The heavens declare your righteousness, for God, you are the judge. Let us listen as you speak, let us hear your rebuke of our sacrifices, our burnt offerings. You do not accept the animals which are sacrificed to you, for every beast in the forest is yours, as are the cattle on a thousand hills. All of the birds of the hills and all that moves are yours. Lord, you do not eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats. So, let us offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Let us perform our vows to you, the Most High. Let us call upon you in our day of trouble, and you will deliver us, and we will glorify you. Let us never forget our God, our only deliverer. May our work and deeds be ones of thanksgiving that glorify you as you show us the salvation of God. It's through Christ our Lord we pray this. Amen. As Dean still said, I, my plan today was to uh, talk about my testimony. One, one thing of uh, being new to Baylor University is Pretty well everything I do is a first for me. So this is my first ever Truett Chapel. I have no point of reference. So hopefully this is vaguely in keeping with how these uh, talks go. Uh, so uh, two things I actually would like to accomplish today. First, I'll share my testimony of how I became a Christian and how I ended up here at Baylor University. And then I'd also like to talk about what it means to integrate faith and business. What does it mean for us at Handcammer to be a Christian business school? This is something that's very important to me and very important to us over there at Handcammer. Uh, my faith story begins with my family. So I, I was born and raised in London, England. So I, I call uh, Northeast London my hometown. Um, if you're a Premier League soccer fan, maybe some of you are. I grew up uh, just down the road from one of the, one of the major soccer clubs over there named uh, Tottenham Hotspur, the Spurs. The, the poorer version of the Spurs, the San Antonio version, is, is much more successful, unfortunately for me, than my version. So that's, that's the area of the world that I grew up in. I was born and raised there. My parents moved from India 
to England uh, prior to that to be doctors. And both of my parents are medical doctors. Uh, my father, upon completion of medical school in Calcutta, India, he had an opportunity. His, his mentor in medical school had a, had a placement for someone to go be an apprentice in a hospital in London. And he offered this to my father, and my father jumped at the opportunity. He thought this was a game-changing game career chance. He should go and do that, and that's exactly what he did. So my father and mother moved to England, and you know they were, they were living this life as, as a trainer. Well, my father was a trainee doctor in a hospital there in London. I have one, old, one older brother. He was born uh, seven years before me, so he came along. My father was so far down the ladder, as it were, in terms of the, the career uh, trajectory that he couldn't actually afford to support a wife and a son. So my mother and brother actually moved back to India for several years. So my brother lived in India for five years or so, along with my mother, and while my father was out there in London, you know, learning his craft and, and gaining experience. I was the fortunate younger brother that they were now all in England and settled in a home together by the time I arrived. He'd, he'd made enough uh, promotions in his career to earn that, uh, earn that ability to do so. So I was raised in London. Uh, my family are Hindu and still are to this day Hindu because of, because of the heritage coming from the northeast part of India. Of course, there's many, many Christians throughout the country of India. That particular part of the country is maybe less so than the southern parts of India. Uh, so I was raised as a Hindu. And I, I was that young child who would always ask difficult questions of my parents. May, maybe some of you have those children yourselves. I have a few of them myself at home, but I would ask difficult questions of my parents uh, all the time, particularly when it came to faith. I, I would ask about the multiple deities in Hinduism. Why is it that there are thousands of gods in this religion, and how do they all fit together, and, and what is the relationship and structure between these different beings? I would ask quite extensively about reincarnation. Uh, I, I would offer my, even as a young child, maybe I was a strange young child, but my mind would think about, well, what's next for us after we've lived this life? And, you know, Hinduism teaches about reincarnation. The works you've done in this life uh, in some way are judged and you then live another life in the future in a different form because of that. And I would ask questions about this to my mother and father. And, my, and you know, bless, bless them, they would answer me and try to, you know, present what the, what the faith of Hinduism would say about these things. I, I was never satisfied, I would say, even from a very young age, five or six years old, I, I felt deep uneasiness about the answers I was hearing about why there are multiple deities and why reincarnation is the belief system within the religion. So that, that made me feel deeply uncomfortable. Uh, ironically, I did end up going to a primary school in England that was a Church of England school, and that was the local school for us. So I did learn some of our basic tenets of Christianity at this school, things like the Lord's Prayer, Ten Commandments. We, we, we were required to memorize those uh, weekly in, in my school, and I did just that. Uh, but it, I never had a, a real or active faith. I just knew some of these teachings uh, by rote, I could say them, but I, I had no idea what they actually meant. Uh, I did my, uh, so I became an economist, as Dean Steele said. My older brother was an economist, and he was doing his degree at the London School of Economics. And when I was 15 years old, I was going through what are called GCSEs in England, and my school was offering the chance to do economics at our age level. And purely because my, older my cool older brother was studying economics, I thought to myself, I should study this too and take this class. And I fell in love with it straight away. From, from the first week of lessons, I just loved the subject, the way it teaches us to think critically about how the economy and markets work. That really resonated deeply with me. 
And so I was that strange 15-year-old at that time who said, I, I just want to do this forever. So at the age of 15, I, I knew I wanted to be an economist. I had my, had my life's career trajectory, as far as I knew anyway, planned at that time. Um, so that, that guided my, my decisions as it came to schooling in the next several years of my life. I was very blessed to be able to attend Cambridge University over there in England. I should say that I never desired to leave London. London was my hometown. It was always my plan to stay in London. Uh, for those of you who've traveled to England, uh, University of Cambridge is not very far away from London, about 50 or 60 miles or so, so very close to London. But that was a very big deal to me at the time, at the age of 18 years old, just even stepping outside of the border there. That was a, that was a big step for me, a leap of faith, but I was glad to be able to do it and blessed to go to the University of Cambridge. Just an astounding place to be able to study. I had two Nobel Prize winners who were my lecturers in economics when I was there. Just a very unique place and uh, made good friends and relationships in my time there. However, upon completion, I knew immediately with, with these career goals I'd set for myself, myself, I should go off and do graduate school. I, I want to do graduate work in economics and keep this going. I actually did have, a, have an opportunity to go to the London School of Economics where my brother had went as well, and I was going to follow in his footsteps. It was my father, um, a, you know, a very wise man, and uh, he, he said to me, well, there are good schools in the United States. Maybe you should consider going to the United States for graduate school. And I, just, I took that information to heart and realized that that's, that's some good advice. I should look into this. So I put some applications out to American universities, and that's what brought me here to Johns Hopkins University. So I ended up in Baltimore, Maryland, doing my PhD in economics. Uh, funnily enough, one of the back when I was an undergraduate student at the University of Cambridge, in my second year there, we had to do a presentation about e any economic, current economics research that we found interesting. We had to do some research of our own, present what that scholar was, was saying about that area, uh, and uh, talk about that in our class. Well, it turns out I, I, I picked the, the research of a professor named Lawrence Ball, and he ended up being my advisor at Johns Hopkins University, so, uh, and has now since been a co-author. I've written multiple papers with him. I had, I had no idea any of this would happen, but God has a better plan, and really that's the theme of my testimony, that I had a plan, and God had a much better plan, and it was nothing like I expected, and that was true, of course, uh, at that point as well. So I ended up in Baltimore, Maryland. Maryland. I was at the Johns Hopkins University uh, studying economics, and that's when my wife, Gretchen, really came into the picture. So she uh, grew up just near, near Baltimore, Maryland, in a town called York, Pennsylvania, uh, just north of where the city is. And I met her, and we, we started dating, and I, I was uh, very interested in learning more about her and impressing her, of course. That was a, a high objective in my, uh, in my schedule of events here. Now, she was raised in a Christian home. So Gretchen's family have been Christian for several generations. They, they've gone to church always and, and have studied and read the Bible, and this was a serious and active part of her life. Uh, so maybe a few weeks into this, in, into our courtship, I, she had requested that I attend her at a church service, and, and she, went, she would go to church at 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday with her family, and you know, I, I couldn't believe that people would wake up that early on a Sunday morning at the time. I was a graduate student, and I would often stay up late into the night working on my dissertation, and the thought that people would wake up so early to go worship was a completely foreign concept to me. I had no idea that people even did such a thing. But she, she impressed upon me that it would be good to attend, and I wanted to, to uh, I think it was a wise decision for me to try and impress her and say, yes, let's go, I should, I should come and attend and see what this is all about. And what really struck me going to this small rural church in, in, in a 
town just outside of York, Pennsylvania, was the pastor of that church. He was extremely academic, very academic in the way he would deliver his sermons, almost like a university lecture. He would read from the scriptures, he would talk about the theory, he would talk about application, what this means for us in the real world, what is the evidence for and against the claims made in the scripture, whether internally or externally. And those first few weeks that I attended that church, I, I was just in awe of this, this man and the way he would take this book that was somewhat foreign to me and deliver what was like a university lecture based on this text. And I, I was really fascinated by the way he did this. And, as a, and, this, and take this as a note of encouragement for all of you seminary students. The, it's not just the content of what you're saying that matters, but the form matters too. Both of them can make an impression on people, and it certainly did for me uh, in that situation. But of course, the content is the most important thing as it comes to scripture, so that, of course, that needs to be number one. And it was because of the way that this man delivered his sermons that then made me take, take notice of what he was actually preaching. So maybe a couple of months into attending church uh, with Gretchen and her family, I took it upon myself to read the Bible. Let, let's read this book and see what it actually has to offer. I actually didn't even tell her I was doing this. I did this somewhat secretively. I certainly didn't tell my family about this. I, I wanted to look at the claims of the Bible myself and read it through with a fresh fresh pair of eyes now as an adult, having seen some versions of this as a child. And it really, it really did blow, blow me away in so many ways. And, and the passage that, we, that TN read this morning from Jonah really changed my life. Jonah 4, I would say, was a life-changing moment for me when I read these verses. Uh, if you remember in Jonah 3, this was when, well, even from the beginning, Jonah is just rebelling against God the entire time. God is telling him, go to Nineveh, preach to them. They need to be saved. And he says, no, 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 every single time. He does everything that he possibly can to shirk his responsibility and go do the opposite. Of course, you all know the famous story and the great fish and Jonah getting thrown into the sea and getting swallowed up by that fish. And then he ends up eventually after kicking and screaming, he ends up in Nineveh after all and says, yes, I will do this, Lord. In Jonah 3, he actually, he actually goes to the Ninevites and uh, and tells them to, walk, to watch out. If you look at Jonah uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Jonah be began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And here's what's really amazing to me, and it's still amazing to me now when I read this, having read this hundreds of times. The people of Nineveh believed God. That was their response. They said, Yes, Jonah, yes, Jonah we will believe you. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So the people of Nineveh turned their hearts. Then they went to the king, and reading this without knowing the text, you might think the king just rejects, rejects what they're going to say, tell them they're being ridiculous, and, and to not do that anymore. The word reaches the king here in verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. He rises from his throne, removes his robe, covers himself with sackcloth, and sits in ashes. And then uh, skipping down further, further ahead, he says, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let us all call out mightily to God. What a transformation. Jonah goes into the city, tells them, repent, believe in God, do away with your evil deeds, and the people believe. And then we come to Jonah 4, which was read to us a moment ago. Jonah's greatly displeased, which is maybe not the reaction you would expect ahead of time. At least I did not expect that reaction of Jonah the first time I read this. He's very mad, he goes up onto this hill, he's furious, uh, the sun is beating down on his head, and, and uh, the Lord causes this plant to grow up over his head, a plant or a vine or a bush, depending on what translation you're reading, and it gives him shade. And he is greatly pleased to get shade in this beating sun at this point in time. 
The next day, the vine dies, and now he's furious again. He seems to have some anger issues, it seems, Jonah. He's furious with God. This vine is dead. What am I going to do? I'm going to die. And, and the verses that the Lord speaks to Jonah are just uh, are wonderful to me. God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant or the vine? Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, and it came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, where there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? For me, being raised in a faith tradition like Hinduism, where I was told that God is unknowable, unreachable, he is out there and untouchable for us. This was a very different God I was reading about in Jonah 4. God is crying out, I love the Ninevites, I want to save them. And that made the scales fall from my eyes. So that completely transformed my heart, as it were. And I, I, I just could not believe that this was, this was a God that exists. This was not the God that I was taught about when I was raised. I went on to read the rest of the Old Testament and the, the Gospels and the New Testament. And I did so with a regenerated heart and, a new, and new eyes. And I uh, gave my life to the Lord. And that same pastor who appealed to me back in that church in Pennsylvania baptized me and he actually married my wife and I. So he's been a, a hugely influential role in my life. And what brings me, fast-forwarding to where I am now, I did end up at Wake Forest University, as Dean still said, for 12 years. So I, I became a professor there uh, prior to being here at Baylor and worked my way through the ladder, really enjoyed myself there and, and applied my craft. Wake Forest used to be a Christian university, but it, it is definitely not a Christian university anymore. So I, I came to the point in my career that I had had lots of leadership opportunities at Wake Forest. Uh, for me, being trained as an economist, I was eager to see economics-like, business-like decisions being made at senior leadership of universities. I saw countless decisions, millions and millions of dollars spent without even the slightest regard to simple business principles. So for me, that, that encouraged me to put my, put my uh, name in the hat, as it were, to become a, a leader within a university. And knowing that Baylor wanted to be a Christian research university really married all the things that I was passionate about together. Uh, the faith stood first and foremost in this institution. I was blessed to be able to oversee transformative research within my unit at Wake Forest, and we were really achieving great things in that, in that department. So the fact that I could now come and marry all of these interests together here at the university really uh, was just the stars lighting up and, of course, providential from God. And uh, I was uh, blessed to be able to come here and replace Dean Maynus, who was an amazing dean for 24 years at the Handcammer School of Business, and I'm just thrilled to be here. One thing that really excites me about being at Baylor University and also speaking with the other deans and the president and the provost, the Christian mission stands first and foremost for what we're doing at this university. We have lots of other goals, whether it's staying in R1 school now or, or reaching the world in numerous ways. We want to do all of those things, but as a Christian university, not in lieu of a Christian being a Christian university. And that's the one thing that really excites me and keeps me motivated to do the work that we do. Let me just, uh, for my last several minutes here, let me just uh, take some time to talk about what it means for me to be a Christian business school or the Handcammer School of Business. Uh, I personally hold the belief that often business schools and universities use their faith as an excuse not to, not to achieve highly or do well in the, in the, uh, the realm of academia. And that's, that's not the way I see it. I, I actually think that we are free and actually have the power to exceed in our fields because of our faith. I would actually say the opposite of that previous statement. 
I think it's our mandate from Genesis 1 uh, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and to do it through the realm of business. I think we can use our business skills to excel and make great things in this world. So I think it's important for us to do research and scholarship, to discover new things in the world of business, and to use that knowledge for the greater good of mankind. Uh, it's, it's very nice. I, I'm, I'm thrilled. All of us are thrilled, of course, that we now are an R1 university at Baylor University, and it's nice to be at the table. But beyond that, the research that we do actually should make, a, make an impact and a difference. It's not research for the sake of doing research. It's scholarship that changes people's lives. I think that's an important message that we all need to have. And that's true of us in the business school as well. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. We have faculty at the business school who are doing research on areas such as food insecurity. How is it that we tackled this problem where people can't feed uh, meals to their children on a daily basis? Let's look at the academic research and policies that do zoning in cities or economic policies and think about how do we provide meals to these people in need? That's scholarship that makes a difference. We also have faculty who are working in areas such as human trafficking. How do we use payment systems and electronic information systems to disrupt the criminals who are doing this great social evil? Let's use our academic skills and talents to do, what, to do good in the world and make a difference. For us in the business school, it starts in the classroom as well. How do we be intentional through our undergraduate and graduate teaching to instill Christian principles into what we're doing. Of course, the first answer that you probably might think about is ethics. So ethics is something we take very seriously at the business school. We have a very strong leadership and ethics team at Handcammer, one of the, the best uh, teams I would say in the country in this area. So ethics is going to be a big part of what we do. But I would go even further and say, what, uh, say that our Christian principles feed into the subject matters themselves in the various disciplines. And I'll give you some examples. Uh, I'm an economist, I, I do inflation research, a very topical theme uh, in today's world. But the, the research shows that inflation disproportionately hurts the vulnerable in society more than it does the wealthier. So by uh, figuring out policy that keeps inflation stable and not volatile and, and predictable in the future, we're able to help those who are marginalized in society in numerous ways. I would say that there's beauty in accounting and an accountant being able to balance the books correctly for their, for their household or their firm. There's great beauty in that that we can see through the lens of this being a part of God's creation. In marketing, how do we inform customers in a way that's compelling, yet educational and factual? This is, a, this is incumbent upon us as a Christian school, Christian business school, to teach that. In a management department, how do we cultivate servant leaders in the world of business? This is something that we take very seriously. And in entrepreneurship, how do we equip our business owners to run and operate their companies well in order to provide for their employees and serve their customers and clients in the process and in treating them with the dignity, honor, and respect that they're due as image bearers made in God's image? These are all Christian principles that should feed through into the world of business at numerous levels, and that's something that we take very seriously at Handcammer. Uh, we also are able to assist uh, very practically with, with others in society and beyond. At the business school, we have several programs that we conduct in order to give back and contribute to society. I'll just name a couple of things here, but there's, we have a, a relatively uh, impressive list. The accounting department runs a program called VITA, the Voluntary Income Tax Assistance Program. Our students actually work through people in the community here in Waco to help them with their tax returns. People who couldn't afford that professional help and under regular circumstances, let's use our students to help them do that so that they could be in good financial situations. We also, this past semester in, in uh, Handcammer, uh, packed, I think, 
50,000 meals. I might be missing a zero. Maybe it was 500,000 meals for the, as part of the Light Will Rise campaign from uh, the Light Will Rise 5810 uh, packaging meals for people in the community campaign. And we all gathered together and pulled our resources together in our time. And we did that uh, in the business school. And we hope to do many more such things in the future as well. We do mission trips as well. We uh, have a business mission trip that goes to Zambia every year where we equip uh, young students there with business skills in order that they in order that they can open businesses for themselves as they're leave, leaving and graduating from school and the final thing I'll mention is what we're working on at the business school is what I call Christ-centered diversity. We need to be proactive in this area. How do we bring in people from every tribe, nation, and language into the business school and give them opportunities that maybe they weren't able to receive in years past? One thing I like to tell our students over at the business school is you'll be amazed at the amazing and brilliant ideas that are coming from places you least suspected. Never judge someone based on what they look like, what they sound like, or what clothes they're wearing. You'll be very astounded. I've been astounded numerous times in my life by the wisdom and intellect that comes from the areas that you least, least suspected. So are we as a business school giving those people opportunities to excel? Of course, there's a student piece to it. How do we provide scholarships for people to come in to the business school and take business education where, where maybe they weren't able to uh, without that scholarship help. On the faculty and staff side of things, how do we hire faculty and staff from different backgrounds, but also retain them? And I think that's something that I'm keen to impress upon us at Handcammer. How do we create a sense of belonging for our faculty and staff? It's not just about assimilating to the culture, that will surely happen anyway, but how do we embrace the cultures that different people are coming from and make that a part of the rich heritage of what we have at the business school? So numerous things and numerous ways that I would say that business and our faith go hand in hand together and there's numerous other directions you can take this in. I'm happy to talk more about that with any of you afterwards. But th that's a snapshot of the things that we're doing in the business school and, uh, and, and some ideas of where I came from. I'm just very blessed to be here in this place and uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. It's really been a joy and an honor. And let me go ahead and close us in a quick word of prayer as we move on in, in our service. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning and for just the, uh, the joy of being able to be here at Truett and to worship with these men and women, faculty, staff, and students, retirees. Lord, I just pray that you uh, teach us that you have called us into these vocations. Wherever we are in our stages of our careers, whether we're a student or an employee of the university, you meant for us to be here. We're here to use the talents and resources you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory. Let us wake up each and every day with that in our mindset, that we never lose sight of the big picture uh, and being on mission for you. That's what we're called to do as your children and here at the, here at the University of Baylor, that's our goal, to glorify you and to further your kingdom through the world of academia. Father, I thank you so much for these people. Uh, please bless them, forgive us of our sins, and we thank you for Christ Jesus. It's his, in his name we pray this, amen.